warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. has been up to it again. I saw the newspaper headlines as we came away from the court. Hmm. I wouldn't envy the lot of any medical man giving evidence at that trial. Why not? Well, surely it's easier these days of legally diminished responsibility. In many cases you may be right, but not here. The man who's killing these women is a criminal, sexual psychopath, and the legal profession has never really known how to treat them. I suppose you could call them social misfits. So we're just talking about the Thai murderer, Maisie. You better watch out. He rapes them first, doesn't he? Yes, I believe he does. Oh, well, I suppose it's nice to know that every cloud has a silver lining. It's the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here. I have two hints of professionalism with me today, and I very nearly couldn't say the word professionalism there. Did you hear that, chaps? Good morning, Stephen. (laughs) Hello, mate. Yes, I'm glad to be uh, just a a dollop dollop compared to to the the more um, pint-worthy of our other guest. Our other guest is, of course, Anthony from the Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast, amongst others. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Nice to be back home. Frenzy. 1972. This is all down to you, my friend. Yeah, I do love it. Yeah, I watched this the other day. It's superb. Any particular reason? Is it just something you wanted to bring to the table just to have a chat about, or is it genuinely one you turn to quite often? I don't tend to repeat films so much these days. I've probably mm. only seen it about four or five times, but I think it's the crime aspect. Uh, there's the London aspect as well. And um, I, I do love these kind of innocent man on the run and the, the way that they, what Hitchcock does is he, the innocent man is not only innocent, but he keeps incriminating himself. <laughs> so there's lots of details on that here. And then the other thing is really the, the connection with Christie and Rillington Place. Cause I, funnily enough, when I first saw this film, which would have been about, quite late actually unless i as we've talked before unless i saw it when i was 15 and i don't remember it so it doesn't count but i saw it in the late 90s i think and i was living in notting hill mm. and i happened to someone i was actually flat sharing with gave me the ludovic kennedy rillington place book and i yeah. became very very interested in that case and uh watching the film the other night uh, i found quite a few connections because Hitch- yeah because hitchcock was actually born in uh, the same year as john reginald christie and he had I just know this from reading a biography of Chris, of Hitchcock. He was quite obsessed with that case as well, and felt some weird uh, kinship with Christie. But oh God. Hitchcock, yeah, Hitchcock said that. Um, I think I said this when we did Strangers on a Train. Hitchcock channeled all his dark urges by making films rather than actually killing people. In the same way that <laughs> Patricia Highsmith did it with her writing. So, True. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, just brilliant. Yeah, and I was watching it and. Uh, 
it's good actually because I didn't remember quite a lot of it, a lot of the plots. Before I put this on on Friday evening, the only thing I could remember was the scene on the potato lorry. That was oh, pretty yeah, much it. Stephen, yeah. I mean, you're a big Hitchcock fan. This must be sort of familiar to you, mate. This one. Yeah, I have watched this a few times before. It's not the one I've watched most mm. out of. I wouldn't even say it was the top five with regards to frequency of watching. Uh, which is not an indication of its quality. Yeah, it's not one that I've I've visited uh, the most often. But yes, I've seen it a, a number of times. I just uh, was thinking when I watched it last time, I actually uh, will have seen it. And to be fair, I think it's probably been four, maybe five years since I've seen it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So it was quite useful, me watching it in a frame of mind where it wasn't all present at the front of, of my, my yeah. brain, rem- remembering it. It was like, oh, I'd forgot about that. Uh, until actually seeing it on the screen, which was quite refreshing in a way. So it's been a, a newer watch in that terms, even though I know I have seen it. And as you've said, there's bits that are scenes or, or bits that I remember more clearly than other bits. And, and also for me, I mean, we're going to go into the trailer in a second, but for me, I, I work within spitting distance of most of the locations at Covent Garden. Mm. Henrietta Street and those pubs are very familiar to me because I literally go towards that way to get my lunch every day. So it was <laughs> it was interesting to see that side of things. Tell you what, let's let's play the trailer. It's Frenzy from 1972. We're going to be back after this. Frenzy. In London, the streets are dark and the roads are hazardous. And to make matters worse... There's a murderer on the loose. It's a woman! Another necktie murder. The trail leads to an innocent man. A man whose only chance is to stop the killer from striking again. Okay, that's Frenzy, released in the UK, 1972, directed, of course, by Alfred Hitchcock, starring John Finch, Barry Foster, Barbara Lee Hunt, Anna Massey, Alec McCown, Vivian Merchant, Billy Whitelaw's in there, lots of famous faces, the late, the great Bernard Cribbins we will be talking about at some point, Michael Bates. The description, the the storyline, now this is from Amazon, so let's have a little look at this. Alfred Hitchcock's first British film since Stage Fright in 1950, Stars Barry Foster as market trader Robert Rusk, a psychopathic killer who strangles women with ties. Suspicion falls, however, on the innocent Richard Blaney, played by John Finch, after Rusk kills Blaney's ex-wife Brenda, Barbara Lee Hunt, and his current girlfriend, Anna Massey. Set pieces include Rusk's desperate attempt to prize an incriminating tie pin out of one of his victim's hands, now rigid with rigor mortis, and a leisurely tracking shot up a flight of stairs to alight upon a grisly murder in progress. That sums it up lovely. It doesn't give anything away too much. I'd include the first murder scene as well as one of the classics. I think it's those three, plus plus the inspector and his wife, I'd say, the classic scenes. That's amazing, that scene with the inspector <laughs> oh, and his wife with so her good. desperate it's... attempts at cooking like French cuisine and things. I'd oh, forgotten that. I'd forget... And that's Bill... Vivian Merchant, <laughs> isn't it? Vivian Merchant, yeah. Because she played uh, Sean Connery's wife in The Offence. That's it. I mean, the same year or a year later. Pilchards and Frogfish, that's the one I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
But what's brilliant is that when the sergeant comes around, she serves him a margarita, you know, with the salt on the rim. And the sergeant's yeah. like, oh, my God, what's this? It's made with lemon juice, doesn't it? Because I think traditionally it's lime, oh, is isn't it? it? Yeah, I'm sure she said lemon when she yes, described yes. it. Yeah, she does, yeah. Yeah, but it would have salt around the rim as well, wouldn't it? Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit more commonplace, but cocktails probably weren't the sort of done thing back in the early 70s. I know it's... Um... Well, it's a funny, yeah, it's a sort of social comment without probably... Meaning to be, you know, because it's just the start of all that the continental influence into England, isn't it? Yes. So you're yes. getting all this weird food. Cool to be honest, that yeah. food did not look good. Did it? <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. the bit where he's explaining the plot while while just struggling to cut whatever he's cutting, like a, a pig's foot or whatever it was. This is sort of like a general sort of overview of this movie, but this is, despite the darkest sort of like plot line, mm. is quite comical as well throughout isn't it the whole sort of relationship between the sergeant and his wife yeah. and you know the sergeant and the other inspector and it's it's quite lightly handled in a way isn't it and it's is hitchcock being mischievous do you reckon is that what it is it's just a perfect balance it's so difficult to do that because the scenes are genuinely really shocking, the murder scene. The second one we don't see, but then they use, they flash back, don't they, which mm. I thought was really clever. But even in even with the potatoes, the foot keeps coming out of the potatoes, doesn't it? <laughs> and, uh, in fact, there's a dummy trailer. There's two. There's one of Hitchcock floating in the Thames. Yes. But then there's another one where he's talking to the camera and he's got a sack of potatoes and this foot keeps coming out and he keeps putting it back into the, <laughs> the potato sack. So. I dare say you are wondering why I am floating around London like this. I am on the famous Thames River investigating a murder. Rivers can be very sinister places. And in my new film, Frenzy, this river, you may say, was the scene of a very horrible murder. It's a woman! Another necktie murder. Of course, one can never be sure where danger lurks. They tell me a dreadful crime was committed right in this building. My investigation next led me to this innocent alley, of which there are hundreds in London. But I don't think we should stay long. Something unpleasant is about to happen. Here is the scene of another horrible murder. This is the famous London wholesale fruit and vegetable market, Covent Garden. Here you may buy the fruits of evil and the horrors of vegetables. I've heard of a leg of lamb, a leg of chicken, but never a leg of potatoes. How do you like my tie? How do you like it? Oh my God. The tie. 
But don't you think it's so so difficult to get that balance to not lose the audience? But they do but it, it works, doesn't it? Because it's still disturbing despite that light tone. I mean, Stephen. I mean, you hadn't watched it for a few years, same as me. I mean, was that sort of something that stood out for you, mate? The the sort of tone of the movie itself. Yeah, I think with you, your bits where it keeps going to the domestic scene and and that what should be ultra normal. See, but even there, that's not normal because of what she's doing with food. And you know, she seems to have. Um, you know, got a niche playing that kind of character that is the what should be the homely housewife, but not actually sticking to the parameters of it. I mean, obviously she's mm. she played the uh, the cheating wife in um, Alfie, didn't she? That's it. So yeah, yeah the, the tone where it goes between the two, and obviously there's an ex- opportunity for some exposition when he's relating the the case, and rather than showing the police going through the actual uh, procedural parts of the the investigation he can just tell his wife that's what they're doing but which is a a a bit of a cheat in a way but also a a bit more innovative i think that is despite what some people think of hitchcock uh, being quite tense and thriller and etc there is that dark comedy and it's shown through that element that they're having that and then with the you know the things like just the what shouldn't be funny a Mm. dead body sticking out of a a sack of potatoes but there is humor to that particularly when it's a foot coming out of potatoes because obviously sometimes like big toes are are identified as being similar to a a potato but you know there's definitely um cleverness there and the tongue-in-cheek sort of dark humor which hitchcock did excel in so for me it got that balance right is it a typical Absolutely. Hitchcock movie, guys, the whole thing? Or is it something slight? I, I always see this as slightly different. I know it's got the element of suspense, which he was known yeah. for. But for me, it's not unique, but it's it's a slightly different Hitchcock to what we used to. I suppose a critic would say he often makes the same film. It's what mm. they kind of say about Woody Allen as well, don't they? But yeah. this this man on the run, like I say, incriminating himself, is, is very Hitchcock. Mm. Um, it's one of those things, it's like... Um, it's like when people call music, you know, Beatlesque. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry about that. Here we go. There's uh, the reference. Come on, there's, there's another one. There's another one later. Don't okay. Worry. It was an absolute, it was an absolute gift from less, the less than, to me. less than 25 minutes, and we. <laughs> no, no. When people say that, you don't know exactly what it means. But when people would say, "Oh, that's typically Hitchcock," you're not sure exactly what it is. But I think the potato scene, because it's something about like something very mundane, like someone delivering potatoes foils the crime almost you know, it's one of those that feels like a hitchcock thing but i don't know exactly what hitchcock's trademarks are apart from the man on the run and those sort of sweeping shots There's, he definitely likes the camera movement you know coming in or or zooming out you know that was great at the beginning the scene as it goes through tower bridge as yes. it's opening they're very shaky camera work on that helicopter whatever it was they used there and then to focus in on the south bank at the old glc it's the old glc building isn't it there um yeah on the south bank uh where the crowd are gathered and, and the bodies the first bodies found but there is the famous tracking shot of coming down the stairs with a very clever edit oh yes. yeah you know there's always some sort of signature bit of camera work shall we say that hitchcock tends to use i mean we spoke about Jaws, Anthony, didn't we? And, you know, and that, mm. that dolly zoom thing where, you know, it focuses in on Roy Scheider's face and whilst panning out or whatever, that, you know, Spielberg achieved it. And, and Hitchcock, you know, in, in Psycho, say, for example, when Martin Balsam falls down the stairs, you know, the camera's yeah. attached to him, that was something a bit different. And this particular panning shot, this tracking shot as it comes down the stairs, 
it's not until you know how it's done that you you fully appreciate it i think the technical aspect of it because as it comes out you know from the studio into the real life street there is a cut that you can't see and it's amazing how he actually does it go back and watch it if anybody hasn't seen it it's it's one of his most famous bit of camera work i think um, yeah, I mean, that's brilliantly done because he says, you know, Babs, you're my type of woman. Mm. And in, in other contexts, like in a lot of Hollywood films, they use this sort of recurring line in such a cheesy way. But this is so brilliantly done. And then the camera comes in. And what I love is, like you said, where the sound picks up and you suddenly hear everyday life. Because mm. it makes you think, God, what else is going on? It's very Rillington Place. I'm sure he watched that film and took some inspiration because there's a bit of that kind of camera work, the idea of very mundane things going on outside and then stuff going on behind closed doors that you wouldn't have any idea of. You know? yeah. Let's pick up a bit on the story because we, we've jumped right in here, obviously. <laughs> um, it's 1972, so got a bit of a license here to, to be a bit more gruesome. It's his first film to feature nudity. We've had Hitchcock films that feature killers many, many times. You know, Strangers on the Train we spoke about recently on Stinking Paws and, and murderers are fascinating towards Hitchcock. But this takes it up another notch. And the thing I like about this is I'm not a big fan of the 60s output that he did. You know, it started off really well with Psycho in 1960, mm. but then you get things like Marnie and Torn Curtain which have mm. never been my favourites. You know, they're nowhere near the highs of, say, North by Northwest. Birds was the 60s, wasn't it? You know, and even that's a bit patchy. But I like the idea that he's come back to England, he's in full-blown colour, and he's doing a serial killer murder, and he's not afraid to... It's a Columbo episode, because we know who the killer is from the beginning, pretty much, <laughs> don't we? It's a Columbo episode. It's like, and, and that whole element, as you say... Anthony, about the the man imprisoned wrongly, you know, because we spoke about Hitchcock being locked up by the policeman when he was a kid because his father mm. sent him down because he'd done something wrong. And that runs through the whole of his film output. Tonally, this film feels more adult, doesn't it? I think there's a bit of a kinship with Psycho because I think Psycho really kicked things up a notch. Mm. This is almost like a British Psycho and just think that's it's so gritty. And also one of the scenes, I think, the first, well, obviously there's, there's only one murder scene that we actually see. That was actually storyboarded very similar to Psycho. It was something like a hundred, more than a hundred storyboards. Wow, okay. And um, apparently it took three days as well. Can you imagine that? Three days just to film that scene. <laughs> um, so I think that I think that kicked it up a notch. But there's a, I don't know if it's a, if it's a British thing. There's a certain gritty thing. Or it's something about London, maybe. But uh yeah, I thought I thought the birds was patchy and Marnie, and then I haven't seen Topaz, but I've seen Torn Curtain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was a return to form. But I think yeah, there was definitely a license to just kick things up a notch, you know. The thing that I think really stands out is the script. Stephen, mm -hmm. I'm going to let you jump in in a second on this because it's Anthony Schaffer co-wrote the script with him, and and this is one of Anthony's favourite films and yours, Stephen. The same year he wrote Sleuth, or the, or the film of Sleuth came out this same year. Mm. He co-wrote The Wicker Man, you know, which will come out did, the yeah. following year. You know, we're saying oh, visually it's a little bit dark or it's a little bit comic or whatever, but a lot of that's got to be down to Anthony Shaffey. You know, those the the scene with, mm. with the with the detective and his wife. Must be down to Schaeffer. So I'll let Stephen jump in, Michael. The script does capture exactly the, the, the mood correctly because 
you've got a serial killer in that part of London, you've got to be able to portray it in a way that wouldn't necessarily fit elsewhere, particularly not if this was being done necessarily in, in the States. So there's very much an element that's that's capturing kind of the culture as well as, as which is partly in the dialogue, but it's, it's capturing that still being Hitchcock, but also with the British element into it. And I do think that they have a bit more of the build-up before the actually man-on-the-run bit than some of Hitchcock's previous ones. And there is a different, as you said, a different spin. This is a, a difference on what has previously been done by Hitchcock, that it's not that, you know, a, a carbon copy format of what he was maybe accused of doing. This is slightly different, what you said uh, a few minutes ago. So I think... You know, we're looking at a film that in some respects is uh, an advancement on where Hitchcock had been before with stuff. And he, you know, maybe learned some lessons from some of the stuff in the 60s that he did that didn't do so well, like Tonka and Topaz, yeah. or at least weren't at the time critically received very well. So going on from there, now, maybe there's an element where, yes, this is the only you know adult rated film because previously, although there's been scary elements to it or, or risque elements to it, it's always been the whole thing of Hitchcock was that it was stuff you didn't see that was made it more mm. frightening whereas in this you are actually getting more visceral and seeing more more of it in front of your eyes rather than it being off camera to the extent where you have got the nudity element mm. but I think that's just in moving with the times and realising that that's what the audiences are needing but he's still injecting his own take on it which keeps mm. it not just really in your face and there the shock of the any nakedness or whatever that's not actually the, the shock is still in what's being done not in the fact that you're seeing a bare breast or, or whatever unfortunately uh, I, I could their tongue sticking out in a way that for me was a bit more comical than anything <laughs> else but there you go yeah i was going to ask you about that was it it was sort of yeah, half shocking, but a tiny bit comical. Maybe they just overdid that a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think it's I'd... the look. In, I think it's the look in the eyes is much more shocking, isn't it? When, when she realizes, when she sees the necktie or the tie pin, mm. and she suddenly realizes, oh my god, it's him. Yeah, you know, it's the terror in the eyes. I think is better done than the tongue sticking out. The There's a great line <laughs> on, on the BFI sort of review of this. Somebody's actually written, fifty years on, we can view this as Hitchcock's nastiest film a thriller that revels in decisively mm. British black comedy, which contravenes mm. the story's sordid horror. This is what I'm saying. There's this, this two sort of tones to this movie. At the same time, yeah. you shouldn't be laughing at the point where he's breaking the corpse's fingers to get the tie pin. But at the same time, you do laugh at it as well. You don't, you're not shocked by it. It's, it's a very fine line. Um, it is. But it works. And I think Hitchcock probably had a great deal of fun making this because the last two, like we said, the Topaz and the Torn Curtain or whatever, they're more... And they sort of like spy thrillers, aren't they? Like espionage-type movies, aren't they, if I remember rightly? They're not... They're sort of like a, a break from what we associate Hitchcock to be. There's only one bit I remember from Torn Curtain. It was just so difficult to, to, to take... Julie Andrews seriously <laughs> along with, I mean I love Julie Andrews she's amazing but yeah. uh, just in that I, it was a bold choice but the bit I remember from Torn Curtain that is slightly similar to this is that I think they kill someone by putting them in an oven or something or in a or something like that I can't there's remember a, it at all I, I, I don't remember it very about, well but yeah. there's a very long drawn out death yeah and I think that's one of the things that, that is in this film that I liked 
they, they did an interesting trick actually with the the murder scene there's quick cuts but it's also quite a long scene you know it, it mm. seems to get very long drawn out and that's i suppose what it would be like because in torn curtain they say they're trying to show how difficult it is to kill someone <laughs> obviously you could just <laughs> shoot them but it's difficult it's long drawn out and it's sort of in the same with the potatoes it just seems to go on forever doesn't it and i I suppose some audience would be audiences would get impatient, but I kind of like those long drawn out scenes, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think with the potato one, the the whole point is it's the tension of is he such a simple thing of just being in the yeah. back of a lorry trying to achieve such a, a minor goal in the sense that you're just trying to retrieve something from a bag, but because of the rocking and and actually identifying which bag and etc. There is a tension there and, you know, having that concluded quickly in whichever way it would conclude is it kind of destroys the point of having the scene. The whole point is the tension of whether he's going to be able to cover his tracks or whether he's going to get caught and each Mm. of those opportunities for him to be exposed or for him to get away with it actually does create that tension and, and create the interest. I think rather mm. than having it, you know, that it's it's drawn out and and should be cut shorter. I don't. Know, well, because, that's your typical Hitchcock, isn't it? Your typical Hitchcock, yeah. master of suspense, isn't it? That's what he does so well. That's what he's known for, and yeah, it all works. As so you you might feel uncomfortable smiling at certain elements of this movie, but it is the blackest of black comedies as well as the, the most horrific of horrors. What I'd like to do, I'd like to talk about the cast, and and there's no better way of talking about the cast than handing the keys over to Stephen for the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Can I just say before you do that, just one thing. I I know for a fact that there's someone from our favourite boating film in this one, because Alec McCoward is the the wireless (laughs) operator on the car. We know what film he's going to be mentioned in any minute. He's not not an extra in that. He's actually (laughs) a very, very key person. Yeah, Yeah, and then we'll probably have to mention our favourite fact about four people that played Q in the Bond movies also. Oh, yes. Because Alec McCoward was Q in Never Say Never Again, wasn't he, I think. So, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. Stephen, take the keys. Let's go to the village hall again. Village Hall of Fame, where anybody that has appeared three times or more on the show gets inducted. Stephen, are we building a new wing on this bloody place at the moment because we've got over 400 inductees now, haven't we? Oh, yeah, it's Baron's Force 500, but um, <laughs> certainly um, recent films that we've done where we thought, oh, this is not going to have many, and then suddenly yeah. there's more. It's my um, favourite part of the whole show, this, because it just throws up so many anomalies. And my voice is going. Can you hear that? Hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Right, there's the, there's the necktie. It's too too tight, lads. That's what it is. <laughs> Excuse me. Right, Stephen, please carry on, sir. Yeah, I mean, we don't make a focus point of the uh, people who've made two appearances on it, um, which is probably for the best, really, because there's 15 of those. And <laughs> yeah, we'll leave those this week, shall we? <laughs> but... Uh, just to pick out from that, uh, Bernard Cribbins second appearance because he was yes. previously in Dunkirk, and uh, the aforementioned Vivian Merchant was, uh, as Anthony pointed out, was in the offence, and we'll be seeing her more in other things. Um, Billy Whitelaw again. Uh, Only two for Billy Whitelaw. Oh. Yeah, 
wonderful to uh, to see her because she was a stalwart of British cinema. So we have seven people making their third appearance. Excellent. Wow. Right, here we go. Come on. <laughs> right, so Michael Bates, Bedazzled and Dunkirk, John Cannon, The Offence and Theatre of Blood, Hugh Elton, Rebel and Robbery, Drew Henley, Heavens Above, Man Four Seasons, Alfred Hitchcock in the acting capacity. This is not including directing, <laughs> but just acting. Obviously, we've, since we've done uh, three Hitchcocks, he's uh, had the cameos in each of those. What uh, was that? 39 so. Steps? And... 39 Steps and Young and Instant. Of course. Yeah, okay. Yep. Gene Marsh, Eagle has landed and Rebel. Brilliant. And Mantini Wildeck is a carry on sergeant and Wobbly. So, yeah, so some good people to induct there. Brilliant. I think. Brilliant. Oh, so Alan yeah. McCowan's not in there, isn't there? Well, he might have well, more we... than three. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So we've got eight people making their fourth appearance. Okay. So Lewis Alexander, Quadrophenia, The Reckoning Sweeney, John Boxer, Pool of London, Seven Days to Noon, A Violent Playground, Otto Freeze, Hell Drivers, Nitro Member, finally somebody from Nitro Member, (laughs) Uh, One Good Turn, Barry Foster. Yes, Sweeney. Uh, Dunkirk, Robbery and Sweeney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roy Lansford, who is in Tenement in Place, of all films, oh. considering the link to, to this, The Offence and Sweeney. Anna Massey, Gideon's Day, Peeping Tom, Bunny Lake is Missing, Robert Rioty, Dr. No, Guns and Navarone, and uh, Matter of Life and Death, and Gerald Sim, who is heaven above, the man who haunted himself and whistled down the wind. Five people making their fifth appearance. Wow. There wasn't that I many people in the cast. It. How many people are in this uh, uh, yeah, just you got to bear with me because we're going a lot further on this. Uh, Hubert Henley, Amazing <laughs> Mr. Blunden, Nature Remember, The Offence, and Three Hats for Lisa. Alec McGowan, hey, Henley, uh, Cool C, Long Arm, Nature Remember, and Private's Progress. Joseph Trogonio, which is you're making things up say. now. You're um, Goldfinger, Rebel, Robbery, Sweeney, Pearl Walters. Yeah. Uh, she should recognise Pearl Walters. Uh, Dr. No, League of Gentlemen, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, and Eric Weverall is Tender Linton Place, uh, Doctor in the House, One Good Turn, and Trouble in Star. Right. So, which leads us on to the two people making their sticks appearance. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mabel Efferington, Inspector Calls, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, Quatermass Experiment, and Wicker Man, and Barry Keegan. Dunkirk, Gideon's Day, Heavens Above, Long Arm, and Prize of Arms. Right. So, and then we get onto the four people who are making their seventh appearance. Go for it. I might might stop listing all the films at this point. You can um, if you want. Pauline, yeah. pa- Pauline Chamberlain is a, a name that we uh, we well we've come recognize. across seven times previously. Yeah. I've just seen who's a, who's uncredited. Go on, <laughs> <laughs> I just spotted it. <laughs> Go uh, on. Uh, Juba, Juba Kennelly is also a seven appearances. Harry Fielder and Jack Silk as well, who were yes. um, yeah, you know, background actors and, and stuff. Yeah. One person making their eighth appearance, which is Maxwell Craig, um, who okay. had a face who will recognise if you see his picture. Yeah. Then at ten appearances, we've got Aidan Harrington. Uh, a Harrington, yes. A, a Harrington. <laughs> a Harrington, yeah. From the um, Harrington uh, dynasty of extras. Uh, 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 and, uh, and Jim O'Brady as well. Um, Jim O'Brady. Jim O'Brady. <laughs> and then one person making their 11th appearance, which is Red Thomason. Oh. And then one person making their 13th, which is Fred Wood. 
brilliant. Um, Fred Wood was in this. It was usually carrying a coffin or, or doing some, something like that. I'm just trying to see who Fred um, Wood was in this. Hang on a second, mate, because I, I, I know where you're going with this. I absolutely know where you're going. Um, I can't find Fred Wood. There he was, pub patron, uncredited. Yeah, background, <laughs> as per <laughs> usual. Yeah, okay. Go on, mate. And then, and then lastly, making 14 appearances. Is, is he top now? Yeah, uh, no, he's still uh, one behind... Cyril Chamberlain, possibly? No, um, Guy Standing. Stand even, Guy Standing. Stand even. Okay, good. Guy Anthony, Standing take as Guy Standing in a pub. Right, no, well, that, guess no, who this Well, that's is. the guy who's at the top, but he, so he's one bit, this guy is one behind it. And who is Vic, it? Victor Ed, Harrington. Ed, uh, <laughs> Victor Harrington, who was in Carry On Regardless, Dr. No, From Wish With Love, Georgie Girl, Gideon's Day, It Crestfell, Inspector Calls, Man Who Haunted Himself, Night to Remember, The Reckoning, The Rebel, Lucky Horror Picture Show, and Trouble in Star. Can I just say wow. his hit rate is now about one in ten <laughs> yeah because we've done about 140 films now he's appeared in like 10 percent of everything we've ever Ten of the films we've been in we've <laughs> had, had and let's face it you know that also means that a quarter of the films have had either guy stand even or victor harrington in oh my god um, so hang on victor um, harrington who was he because i didn't spot him According to IMDb, Mr. Harrington played. Well, Aidan Harrington was Manning Crowd. Yes. Victor, ah, Spectator on South Bank. He did that so Bank. well, though. Spectator yeah. on South Bank. He was in that initial crowd scene. I just want Which to is where out. Pauline Chamberlain was as well. They're, they're all there. The crowd, uh, along, with, along with Hitchcock himself. Oh, my was God. was in that crowd, wasn't he? Right. I've just looked down this IMDb list. And also uncredited is Margaret Nolan because her scene yeah. was cut. Young woman's scene cut, so obviously you haven't included her, but no, she would no. have been quite high up had we done that. CID man uncredited Roy Skelton. Does anybody know what Roy Skelton is famous for? Uh, rings a bell, but no, not sure. Zippy and George in Rainbow. Oh, fuck. And also <laughs> a voice of like the John Pertwee era Daleks as well, uh... if I rightly. Can I just talk about a, a cast member I, I spotted? Yes. I don't think she's in the Village Hall of Fame, but in that in that opening scene with the, the crowd seeing the uh, body in the yeah. Thames, the woman who says he's a regular Jack the Ripper, I said, I know who that is, and it's Mrs. Warboys from One Foot in the Grave. Doreen Mantle. Mrs. Warboys. Yeah. <laughs> Margaret. I was pleased with that one, yeah. I thought that, that's Doreen her, Mantle. A young Doreen yes. Mantle's there. That's amazing. I didn't even spot yeah. that. When uh, the guy's describing uh, the murder, which is a very Hitchcock. There's another Hitchcock film, Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah, great film. Yeah, the father and his friend, just the guy just comes around to talk about murder all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Sheard, who was, what's his face in Grange Hill? Oh, uh, Mr. Pax? No, Mr. Bronson. Mr. Bronson, no, no. he's there. Bronson. Yes, he was in it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's one of the second appearances. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, there's a number of faces like that. People who recognise some things. I mean, I recognised Rita. Rita Webb, who played Mrs. Rita Rob... Webb, who yeah. played his mother, now, who that... was was um, from Up Pompeii. Kept, uh, she was the soothsayer that, that was kept it. like prediction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting to see her with uh, actually more than one line that she kept repeating, as she did in that. Didn't you think her appearance in this movie was a little bit strange? Because she appears at the window with John Finch, right? No, sorry, with Barry Foster. He said, this is my mother. Yeah. 
and she waves hello or whatever. And we we sort of see her again briefly afterwards, but there's no reason for that whatsoever, is it? Playing on the trope that, you know, psychopaths love their mothers or something. I don't know. It's just, she was just introduced. I think like, it could randomly. be playing on that. And he also re- later on references, uh, you know, keeps quoting things that his mother's said throughout the film, as well as quoting in the... Um, from the it's either stuff his mother's said or it's stuff that is part of the grocery trade, such as you know, you don't squeeze the plums until you've put paid for them or whatever. <laughs> they squeeze the um, until you pay for them. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, a couple of times he references you know what my my old mum always says, and then oh you've met my old mum. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. it's perhaps actually like you say that humanising or you know I am. I'm not this weird loner that's disconnected and doesn't have my family around. I've not got a, you know, I'm not part of society who, you know, doesn't go to the pub and all this kind of stuff. It's, mm. it's saying that, you know, these psychopaths, you know, they live among us and they um, go in the same pubs as us and they go sit down and do podcasts and do whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I thought it was weird that he talked about his mother in the past tense. As if she'd died. That was a bit weird. This is, this but, say um, the whole introduction of the mother was just a bit random yeah. and they didn't didn't seem to go anywhere. Apart from the fact that Stephen just said he kept sort of back referencing. Uh, I thought it was a throwback to Strangers in a Train in a weird way because he had Bruno and his mother. Didn't yeah. He? Yeah, yeah so but I mean, you're right. Yeah, she just popped up and then disappeared. Yeah. Because yeah. I she thought... just wanted to get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> she was thinking forward. 50 years, well, watching so. it on Friday night, I hadn't seen it for a few years. I'm thinking, does he kill his mother later on? And obviously, he doesn't. Or we don't know if he does or whatever. But yeah. I was thinking, why? Why is that relevant? And I mean, it was sort of playing on my mind while I was watching it. And it wasn't relevant at all. Um, we can't talk about the cast without mentioning a couple of people. Bernard Cribbins, guys, come on. This this is the mm. first Bernard Cribbins movie we reviewed since he passed a couple of months ago. The man was a legend, wasn't he? Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, how he's only making his second appearance is beyond me because yeah. of the amount of stuff he was in and particularly, it's, it's really weird because his previous appearance in uh, Dunkirk and then he's in this. <laughs> exactly. Whereas he's known for being, you know, in Too Many Crooks and all these... The comedies, of, yeah. Um, yeah. Comedies yeah. where it's, you know, the fast comedies. He's known for being in those and yeah. the, the Mouse on the Moon and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. He's, in, he's used to being in all those and yet we haven't covered any of the ones who seem to have just randomly missed the ones that he's in. He's, he's in the that's... pipeline though, isn't he? Because obviously, you oh, know, yeah, the, the carry-ons, yeah. you know, would be coming up to spying and, and Jack and all that. If we get to the second Doctor Who movie, he's the policeman in that, isn't he? I believe he's the... Yeah. He becomes the companion. And I'm holding back on Two-Way Stretch, the Peter Sellers film with him and uh, uh, Lionel Jeffries mm. and all that lot. And we've also got the railway children that we're going to be doing eventually possibly yes. next christmas yeah. at some yeah, yeah. point you know so he is going to be a mainstay of this podcast eventually but as you say Stephen, 150 movies in and we've only covered two bernard gribbins yeah. but just wanted to pay tribute to the man you know because we do associate him with like the you know the carry-on movies or like you said you know those 60s comedies you know the voice of the wombles and all of that sort of thing you know the comedy records yeah but him playing a pretty straight performance here. There's no real comedic element to it at all. He's actually quite a bit quite sort of nasty. Yeah, yeah. brilliantly mean spirited. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got the feeling he's slightly concerned for Babs 
at some point. I think yes. he did, was slightly concerned, but then he was thinking about, oh, I'm losing a staff member as well. So. <laughs> yes, well, yeah. from that angle, yeah. But no, of course, I remember him from Fault of Towers. Um, and he also made a record as well, didn't he, uh, Scott? A couple. Ah, here we go. Yeah. Hang on, hang on, Stephen. Let, um, let's who keep was that up. produced by Scott? Was it by, by Mr. Martin? It might have been George Martin. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Because George Martin did, did all the comedy records, didn't he? Yeah, he did all the comedy well, records should, on Parlophone. You so. should remember that, because really, he's the most famous person that... George Martin worked with, wasn't he? Uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. That was Matt Munro, Definitely the, the, the most gifted artist, not those four skiffle <laughs> yeah. scousers yeah. either. Matt Munro, come on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that the reference? Is there anything else? Because I was thinking, was Rita Webb in Help as one of the Unfortunately, there was, yes. I was just trying to think if there was anybody that might have appeared. There was the a few people movies. in this that were in Hard Day's Night. There's a couple of them. Oh, go on, tell me. Go on, tell but, me. Oh, I, can't, I, I, I didn't write them down because uh, they've oh, not okay. appeared in anything else that oh, we've, right. we've done. Okay. Because we haven't oh, done... Okay. Trying to think there's, a Beatles, there's a Beatles reference that's not related to the cast. I may as well tell you. Go it's a gift it. from Anthony Schaffer. Mm. When, um, do you remember when Rusk gives him a, a tip on a horse? Yeah. He doesn't have the money to cash it in. Do you remember what the horse was called? Can't remember. Coming up. Coming up. Coming out. Coming out like a flower. Which is a, a Clutch, clutching at straws now. <laughs> well, not really. I mean, actually, the song hadn't been made, so I can't claim that. No, he no, took no, it. it's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so, so you're, what you're saying is, is the other way around that Paul McCartney saw this film and <laughs> yeah. decided to do a song based upon yeah. that horse name. I oh, think right. you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Cheers, squadron leader. Chin, chin. It may come as something of a surprise to you, Blaney, but in this pub we sell liquor, we don't give it away. Still less do we expect our employees to steal it. I was going to pay for it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you were. Yeah, well, that's the last drink you're getting on this house. Go on, get out. I told you I was going to pay for it. I always pay for my drinks, even for your watered-down gin. Now, don't come the innocent with me, you bastard. My stocks have been well down this past month. Now, you watch what you're saying. What, to a thief? What's going on? Our friend here says that I've been pinching his booze. Ridiculous. He always pays. How would you know? Well, I work with him, don't I? And what else? What's that supposed no, to mean? Just keep out of this, will you, Babs? Come on, Blaney. Outside, you're fired. You can't do that. He never stole nothing in his life. He puts the money in the till. I've seen like him. A thief or a boozer. It's all the same to me. I don't need either one as a barman. Quite apart from the fact half the time he's pulling your tits instead of pulling pints. Now, look here. He can't keep his hands off you. The customers are always talking about it. And what about you? Always fingering me. You keep your lying mouth shut, Babs. You can get out as well. I'm off. Keep the chain. A couple of things on the cast. I just mentioned a couple of things. Yeah. Michael Caine was considered for the Barry Foster role. Yes. Yeah. Turned it down because he didn't want to be associated with such a character or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is the same year as Sleuth as well. I was thinking when Barry Foster... He actually does look quite a bit like Michael Caine. He's got some mannerisms. great hair in this, Barry Foster. Oh, brilliant. Almost yeah. like a wig. Helen Mirren turned down Babs. Yes, yes she did. And yeah. Laurence Olivier was considered for the detective. And I was, I guess Ooh. they'd see Buddy Lake is missing and thought, oh, Olivier as a detective would work. That I mean, work. Olivier as anything would probably work, wouldn't it? Yeah. Vanessa Redgrave turned down the role of Brenda. Yeah. Um, David uh, Hemmings was considered to play Blaney at one point. That's right. You mentioned Helen Mirren, yeah? Mm, yeah. Um, there's a bit of a link. It says here, Helen Mirren, who later plays Hitchcock's wife, Alma Revel, in the film Hitchcock, uh, actually met yes. with Hitchcock to discuss the role. Eventually, she rejected it and years later said she regretted doing so. There was a woman, uh, one of the hotel clerks, 
was a woman who'd been in a Hitchcock film from 1932. No. I, can't, I don't have the name off the top of my head, oh. of the woman or the film, in fact, but Just that looking. was kind of a reunion, yeah, 40 years on. That's not yeah. Pearl Walters, is it? Restaurant patron? No, it wasn't the restaurant patron, because that's when he gets taken out by his wife to the club. Yeah. Um, no, I think they're referring to the um, the woman who, um, when she signed them into the hotel. That's it. And and she keeps, she actually doesn't cotton on the fact that he coming in under a suit and him. Um, right. The film she was in was, oh, was it Rich and Strange? It's actually 41 years earlier. I think it was Rich and Strange. Wow. Uh, there's only four cast members. Here we go: Henry Kendall, Joan Barry, Percy Marmont, Betty Amman, Elsie Randolph. Was it any of those? Can't see on IMDb. Elsie Randolph was Gladys. Her name was okay. um, mm. in the the hotel signing them in. Yeah, it's uh, her. Yeah, Elsie Randolph. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. she appeared in a Hitchcock movie forty years previously. Yeah, forty one actually. Yeah, Rich and Strange, nineteen thirty one. Because I always thought this was like Hitchcock's first. British movie since going to Hollywood, but he did two before that, didn't he? It was Stage Fright and something else, wasn't it? He, he came yeah, back Stage Fright and I think it's Under Capricorn, maybe? Under Capricorn, maybe yes, it is. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I like Stage Fright. That was a good one. Great film. But did you watch the making of? Because there was a lovely anecdote. Someone saw Hitchcock, started approaching Hitchcock, and they got a bit worried because uh, it could be anyone, but it was someone who knew his father. Worked in the Covent Garden market, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and they had a nice chat. Did you watch that documentary? I did, no, little... but I heard this, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there was a little bit of Hitchcock's directing style that was very, very relaxed. He was, I mean, obviously he was in the latter part of his career, but it was interesting to see a little bit of Hitchcock directing, and he, he was a bit like Stanley Kubrick in that they said Hitchcock assumed that the actor would know what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't really feel like he had to direct them too much. What was uh, the line about cattle? It gets misquoted, doesn't it? it, it... Yeah, well, Dick Cavett Dick Cavett said, oh, did you really say that actors are like cattle? He said, no, they should be treated, treated like cattle. Treated like cattle, that's <laughs> <laughs> Where does this stand in the Hitchcock canon, Stephen, for you, mate? For me, just because of familiarity, and I, this isn't a, a comment on quality, but as far as my own affection, it's within the top ten, but not within the top five. Fair enough. I'd, I'd agree with that, yeah. Anthony, I mean, you selected the movie today. Does it still hold up for you? Is it still top tier for you? Oh, totally held up, yeah. I think it's difficult to compare. There is a British Hitchcock and an American Hitchcock, and there is a different style. Mm. Like I say, I'd never really clocked the, the kinship with Psycho. Because I think Psycho is the one that is really as nasty as this, you know. And yeah. I don't associate that so much with American films. I suppose I've got a bit of a bias of thinking Hollywood is a bit more glossy and everything. But then I think of something like Taxi Driver. I mean, that's pretty gritty. So Yeah, but the would... previous Hitchcock is sort of like under the Hayes Code as well, up to sort of 68, 69, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, there's certain rules and regs that, you know, he has to abide by. I, I get the impression he had a lot of fun making this because he was allowed to sort of let himself loose a bit than he previously had been. And I think the constraints of having Topaz and Torn Curtain being like Cold War type espionage thrillers, for him to get his teeth into something that we know that previously he's loved doing, which is like a man on the run or an innocent man or a murderer or whatever it may be, yeah. he's gone, you know, back to time and time again. I, I think he had a lot of, you know, a lot of fun actually making it in a twisted sort of way. Yeah, and he's I'm returning sure. to his roots as well, mm. as far as his home 
you know, the, the you know almost the streets that he knocked around on. It's almost like a the tourist video, isn't it? It's a very like, yeah. you know, this is this is London. This is the real London. Even having the Ron Goodwin score, you know, Ron yeah. Goodwin's famous of the patriotic fanfare. It's yeah, just a love letter that, to London, isn't it? Almost. I thought well, that was a strange choice, though, because actually on the documentary, you know, the story about Henry Mancini. Henry Mancini actually wrote something and was rejected, wasn't it? Because it was he was too morbid or something or yeah but they played a bit of it on this documentary over it and i thought it was actually a bit a bit better i thought that was a weird choice mm. this sort of very grand patriotic thing but henry mancini apparently they didn't even pay for his accommodation or <laughs> oh, that's or right he came or over his, uh, <laughs> yeah he had to make his own way back which must have been quite humiliating also hitchcock approached uh nabokov to write the script did you know that who wrote lolita oh but before Schaffer. Yeah, before Sheffer. I mean, Sheffer, I mean, like I said, I think as time goes on, I'm starting to realise more and more how important a script is because I think, you know, what's the analogy that you can't, whatever it is, you can't reheat a souffle, something like that. <laughs> you can't, you can only make so much out of it. If the script's no good, there's only so much a gifted director can do, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think that was quite apparent to me, as I said, when when I found out it was Anthony Schaffer, which I hadn't realised previously, and then when you think, hang on a minute, Sleuth was about this sort of time, the Wicker Man was coming up, it's got Schaffer's fingerprints all over it, hasn't it? Yeah, it was a line I remember. You know when the two detectives are, dis- are discussing it in the pub? Mm. And they're saying, I talk about serial murders, and he said, oh, he rapes them as well, so every crowd has a silver lining. Yes! <laughs> which is an incredibly dark line. <laughs> <laughs> Probably and wouldn't the, even get and through that. Bar, yeah, and the barmaid's reaction. The older barmaid, who obviously has had a saucy past and, and <laughs> has, has this kind of probably X-rated banter with her clientele, but has the faux "I'm a lady, I'm offended" by some. You know, she's she, she sort of pretends that she's only just cottoned on to what he said, and and mm. it's just it's just a bit of cockney cheekiness rather than it being quite dark, making a rape joke. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of John Finch? Because I actually think he's really wooden, but it sort of works. Do you think he's a bit wooden or that just me? I liked him in Macbeth, which possibly mm. was this year or the year before the Roman Palace. Yeah, the year before. One. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I quite liked him because that was the the version I saw when I was studying Macbeth Row level many many years ago. What else have we seen him in? Just soon? after it was written. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah so I saw it at the Globe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have we seen John Finch in anything previously? Because I always get no, him mixed up with the lead um, guy in Excalibur, and it's not him. Oh no, no, it's not. Um, Let's just have a look. John Finch, uh, John Death Finch, on the Nile, uh, Macbeth, Breaking Glass. I forgot he was in Breaking Glass. Great movie. Must do that someday. Sunday Bloody Sunday. Horror Frankenstein. Eventually, we'll see him in. No, no, we pretty much haven't come across John Finch as yet. He was. Yeah. Uh, he was going to be an alien. He was going to play the John Hurt character was he yeah but uh i think he was ill or he became ill and then they got they got john hurt in the night before filming was starting wow. which is obviously a good choice you can't imagine anyone else yeah. John Hurt. we're not gonna know. sort of come across him too much a couple of hammers the no. vampire lovers horror frankenstein sunday bloody sunday when we do the you know get to the end of the kitchen sink stuff yeah yeah talking about excalibur though um, yes. we had the second appearance of clive swift he was in excalibur of course he best, was best, he was in excalibur as well as um being best known obviously for keeping up appearances yeah, yeah. he's the father, the father of uh, husband Arthur is not. Oh, is that his friend from the RAF? That yeah, the one, the one that puts him up. Dicko, yeah. That was a bit random as well. The fact that they're walking past the Hilton Hotel 
on Park Lane, I think it is, and randomly he bumps into his old RAF buddy. Yeah. Who who takes them in and Billy White Billy Whitelaw again, we didn't talk about Billy Whitelaw again. How wonderful is Billy Whitelaw in this and everything that woman ever appeared in? Yeah, I, I can never forget her eyes in The Omen when she goes to see Lee Rummick <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> Obviously with the music as well, the close-up and everything. Yeah. But yeah, she just steals She steals the scenes in these films because, yeah, that was a bit random. My my other reservation with this film, he got out, the, he got out of prison a bit easily. I know he was in the hospital <laughs> and everything, but he got out of that hospital a little bit easily. He's a, he's a murderer, <laughs> wouldn't they? It had to, the, had yeah. to be that way. It's almost like a carry-on, you know, a carry-on <laughs> nurse escaping from the hospital type. Carry-on um, frenzy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, unfortunately um, that bit was a bit too easy with the escaping from the hospital. Yeah, that but, was a bit of a hard um, he but could have been sliding. Should have been sliding yeah. down the roof, shouldn't he? Like, um, who's the one in Gary on? He's always falling down roofs. Jim Dale. <laughs> Jim <yeah>. Dale. Because <laughs> he was dressed in the doctor's uniform as well. At some yeah. point, we've got to cover Twisted Nerve. Hayley Mills, uh, Phil yes. Bennett, Billy Whitelaw's in that. It's I don't know if it's a Bolton Brothers, but definitely one of the Boltons directed it. Roy, I think. And Barry Foster's in that as well, and Billy Whitelaw. That's um, right. And a very young well, Billy Whitelaw, you're right. right. Billy Whitelaw does steal pretty much everything she's ever, she was ever in, really. Even right mm. up until the end, with she was in Hot Fuzz. I she mean, was in Hot Fuzz, yeah. Her, her, her <laughs> last appearance, last film that she did, last uh, anything she she did credited uh, wow. was that, and just absolutely steals steals that every scene she's in on that yeah. one as well. Absolutely worth recognising. But yeah. although she, you know, she's. Um, a thorn in the side of the lead character in this film is absolute pure talent. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think a lot of it's due to the theatre tradition we have here because these actors, they just, when you've done theatre, you know, eight, eight performances a week of something really intense, the film's probably quite easy in a sense, but they've already got that aura, you know. Mm. She's one of those people she just has to, you just look at her and she's got that aura already. You, know? you just know there's quality, don't you, on the screen. When, yeah. you, when, when you see Bernard Cribbins and Billy Whitler in the same movie, you know it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. I recognise Anna Massey from uh, Bunny Lake is Missing. I we yeah. saw her in, wasn't she the daughter? She, in she was the, the daughter in Gideon's Day. That was it. Very, very young. Um, in yeah. This yeah. So, one, uh, um, and her father, um, Raymond. Raymond Massey, mm. he was the American opposing. Uh, council, as it were, yeah. um, in a uh, matter of life and death, um, who's trying to make the case against the English. That's it. And he's also um, Arsenic yeah. and Old Lace, isn't he? Playing the role that was originally slated for Boris Karloff. One will do in the future, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, that had Alec McCowan. Yeah. You remember who he played in that? In The Loneliness of the Long that. Distance Runner? Yeah, because all I remember is Michael Redgrave and then Tom Courtney and James Bolan. Well, we've got that coming up very soon in the new year because we're going to pick up on the, the kitchen sink yeah. stuff, aren't we? So Yeah. And, and you're going to be part progress. of that one, aren't you, Anthony? You wanted I to would do... love to do that one, yeah. <laughs> and uh, here's a weird one. This is not this is not British film. Alec McCowan's final film was Gangs of New York. Ooh. Oh, wow. Don't remember him in that at all. But, uh, no, no. Yeah, Scorsese. I mean, you were saying, just going back to something you were saying, Anthony, about the, the script and that quality, and also Scott said about the, the the story. Somebody who wasn't a fan of, of this film and of the script was the Arthur Lee Byrne, who originally wrote the, the book that this oh. was based on. 
who was quite critical of this and, and came out and basically um, was unabashed in his thoughts on it, which was that he, you know, didn't didn't like it at all. Really, I think that he's I can't remember the exact quote of what he was saying about it, but he wanted to distance himself from it and said it really disliked what they'd done with it and you know wasn't really uh, what the. I think appalling was one of the words he used for it, and, and grotesque. Don't know um, whether that's just because they actually interpreted his book too well, um, or, or not well enough. It's hard to go back to that time, though, isn't it? And thinking what audiences would have seen before that, because it, it yes. probably would have been very shocking, wouldn't it? Obviously, it's from that, I mean, it's quite shocking now. Yeah. I mean, I watched it the other night. Yeah. I was quite shocked by a couple of bits. Yeah, it's X-rated yeah. at the time. It's the only film I think that Patricia Hancock would not let her kids see until they were much older of her father's work. Yeah. Apparently, is that right? Yeah, yeah I heard that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's one of those movies. We, we say this quite often that it's it's quite difficult to say that you enjoyed. I really enjoyed that movie because the subject matter, mm. but. For me, watching it this time round, it's a bit of a roller coaster as it goes between the dark comedy and then the, the actual horror itself. Um, yeah. And I like that element of it, the fact that even though I'd seen it probably two or three times previously, I still didn't know where I was going with it. You guys had the same experience, didn't you? Thinking, oh, I've forgotten that bit. What happens next? Because there were certain bits I completely forgot. I'd forgotten the bit where he actually goes to prison. I'd forgotten that completely. You know? Yes, I had as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, as I say, the only thing I could remember going into it was the potato sack and just scenes of Covent Garden. That was all I could remember. And it was just a joy to watch. And I say, it sounds really wrong to say that you got a great deal of pleasure of watching something with such a dark theme to it. I mean, you guys, probably what, four or five star movie for the Perry, I'm going to assume? Yeah, I never give any anything five stars. <laughs> four and a half. Four and a half. No, I, th- I think there are just a couple of holes like the And I, I think John Finch, honestly, I just found him. When I said he's a bit wooden, I don't know too much of his other stuff. But in this, I just thought. Do you know what I thought it, it was? I'll tell you yeah. what was really because I watched it on Blu-ray for the first time, and the picture quality was amazing. I think it was the ADR, the dumping afterwards was quite. Mm precise, quite clipped, and it sort of gave that appearance that the scenes where Foster and and Finch were were together just seemed like you could tell that the voice was overdubbed. It might have sounded a bit more natural if it was the original, you know, sound used, but it's a minor hole, isn't it, in a great movie? There was a sound bit that I loved. Do you remember when uh, uh, Babs comes out and then the soundtrack just goes completely silent just before... Um, what's his name? Rusk says, uh, "Hello, Babs," or something like that. It's just that when you watch it back again, there's two seconds of silence, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. When she comes out of the pub, and then you hear his voice because they're just they're just giving these little signposts. Because when he comes into the dating agency, he's so different from how he had just been, you know, a yes. minute ago. Yeah. All that Bob's your uncle stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very very well done. Lovely. 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 Shall not be afraid for the terror by night. Lovely. Nor for the arrow which flies by day. Lovely. Nor for the pestilence which walketh in darkness. Lovely. Nor for the destruction that wasteth of noonday. Lovely. He shall give his angels charge over thee to guard thee in all thy ways. Lovely. 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 Lovely! Lovely.
Irish women are all the same. Uh, I'll show you. Nobody's mentioned lovely, lovely. Oh, God, yeah. It, it was very yeah. dark, wasn't it? Very dark. And she was quoting a, a psalm from the Bible. I'm not going to pretend I knew that. Mm. I did look that up. But she was quoting, yeah, possibly. A psalm from the Bible. He's going, lovely, you know. And that was the, the lovely, obviously, meant to be signaling the thrusting almost. Um, mm. His disappointment that it basically, because she ends up just spacing out and mm. going into yeah. a, a more tranquil uh, disposition, spoils it for him, which shows the, what they're saying elsewhere in the film about. Uh, that type of villain uh, and offender that where they get their their pleasure from, um, yeah. and like he says, you know, he, he wants her to struggle. It, you know, it's, that I think adds to the rawness of that scene rather than if it was just played straight as it were. Um, I don't think it would be as shocking as what actually uh, was portrayed. Yeah. And how brilliant! How brilliant was that little device they had when he's on the potato truck of uh, remembering that he lost the tie pin. Yes, and then the they flash, so they find it. a way of flashing back and actually showing us the scene in like four cuts, yeah. and just that look of absolute terror on her face. Like I was saying earlier, I think the tongue was a bit much, but the the look of horror in their eyes was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think I could enjoy it just because the script's so good and because there is comedy almost throughout. You know, because even with the hotel, there's a bit of that. You know, they're all wondering, oh, what are those two <laughs> up to? You know, they give them the matrimonial suite and everything. So. I think yeah. um, there was enough. There was enough humour in it throughout, you know, to to enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. As I say it sometimes can be a bit difficult to say that you enjoyed a movie with such a dark theme. But yeah, roller coaster. As I say, generally enjoyed. I think thumbs up from all three of us. Yeah, definitely yes. love it. Oh yes, yeah. Okay, let's take a short break. I believe Stephen, it's your turn to pick the next movie for the three of us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back after this. What did? Exactly is in this soup. Why don't you like it? Mmm. It's delicious. But I find the ingredients are somewhat mystifying. They're smelts, ling, conga eel, John Dory, pilchards, and frogfish. And now, since that must have been fairly satisfying, I thought a simple roast bird would be enough. speaks for itself. Besides, you can't make normal judgments about psychopathic killers. They can be triggered off at any time. We've got to find him before his 
appetite is whetted again. Okay, guys, that's Frenzy, 1972. Thanks to Anthony for that one. Absolutely enjoyed it, as usual. Must be your turn, Stephen, for the next one, mate. What we got lined up? Well, for the next one, I thought not to get Anthony overly excited, but we are Liverpool-bound um, <gasps> in, in this sense, although it is in, in 1949, so not really going <laughs> to maybe pick up on his pet subject um <laughs> I, bet he um, can, I bet he can find something <laughs> oh he will yeah so uh this is we've done these things before and i think we've had you know quite a, a lot of fun going through them this is a, a, a sort of portmanteau film this one an alien one as far as you know these conjoining stories around a central plot included in these are, are ones directed by our favorite basil dearden and Charles Crichton and Sidney Cole, and it does actually have a, a, a bit of an appearance in the cast of the recently departed Leslie Phillips. Oh. So what I'm taking us to is uh, Train of Events. I have never seen it. No, I haven't either. I'm not even very aware of it, if truth be told. I'm just looking it up now. Train of Events. Train of Events, yeah. Mm. Train is heading for a train crash at a level crossing because there's a petrol tanker that's and this is like flashback of, of four different stories of people leading towards them being involved in the train crash one way or another whether the passions are on the train or whatever got some you know i'm just looking at the car quality uh, appearances <laughs> i mean we've got jack warner for a start off Brilliant. um miles mallison mm-hmm. um you've got um peter finch in it lawrence naismith um, yeah and john gregson's in it brilliant we love uh, Valerie hobson so you know, there's a number of people uh, in this that um, for us to pick out. I haven't actually looked at the the full cast, only that only who appears in the different vignettes. So mm. I may maybe um, cursing myself at later stage. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> as as a portmanteau film, of um, it's quite quite useful to see, and I think it's uh, you know, well done. From I haven't seen it for probably about six years, to be honest. Okay. So I'm hoping um, that it stands up to what my memory is of it. I don't know about yeah. you, Anthony, but that is mm. a complete mystery to me. This one, I've known nothing about this, and never even heard yeah, of it. I've never heard of it. When you said that, I was hoping it was the story of you know John Lennon as a little boy in Liverpool getting on a train. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, uh, no, I, I never heard it of it. Be. That's why I was I was trying <laughs> to initially, um, you know, forewarn you not to get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> just because it had Liverpool because that's where the train's heading towards one, heading towards Liverpool. one thing you can get excited about is the uncredited appearance in the theatre audience of Victor Harrington 
Oh, we're preempting now. I've just got to check because Anthony Quayle, uncredited violinist. This is the quality of the cast. Anthony Quayle, uncredited. My God, you know. I'm looking forward to that because I love discovering stuff like this. You know, when you think you've seen everything. And we're big fans of the portmanteau, you know, um, Dead of Night, which we did. Dead of Night and Searchlight, yeah. And, and you know you got T.B. Clark and, and all that Bezel did and everybody that we've loved over the last 140 plus movies all coming together so yes wonderful choice mate I'm looking forward to that right before we go quick hand over to Anthony to let everybody know where he can be found if anybody wants to find him <laughs> <laughs> I can be found on uh, Real Britannia at Stinking Paws every couple of months uh, Glass Onion on John Lennon coming up for four years now Excellent. Uh, monthly podcast. Uh, can't think of anything else to say about it. Deep dive into John Lennon, branching off into subjects such as psychology, politics, drugs, society, yep. all that good stuff. Film Gold is uh, my third podcast that you two fellas have been on. We did mm. Sleuth. It's sort of um, taking a back seat, unfortunately, because it's enough energy to do the other two. The other one is Life and Life Only, uh, which is a podcast about life, so no shortage of material. Yeah. And uh, sort of a search for inner and outer truth, bit of life coaching, bit of self-development. There on the other side, alternative media, looking at things beyond uh, mainstream media output. And there's uh, some outlier episodes. I'm just doing a two-parter on the Titanic, mm. which I will be sending to a pair of you as a little bit of homework before we do it to remember. Yeah, but uh, it's a nice. Uh, sometimes it's a nice outlet. I did a. Did something about Tim Rillington Place as well. Did something about Nick Drake. So there's some real outlier episodes, but that's my three podcasts Wonderful. to be found everywhere you find podcasts. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. You are Good more fun. than welcome, my friend. And Stephen can be found generally in his front room and wandering aimlessly <laughs> around the streets of York. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not throwing eggs, but certainly waving placards, yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Take care. the end boys we've done our duty we can go now absolute shah positive shah bon voyage goodbye good luck thank you
British end up, sir. I'm sick of pain. Stop engines. Stop engines. Ha 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 ha.